morning, family. Oh, boy. I'm excited. I was so excited to come up here, I forgot my mic. I had to run in the back. So, are we all right? Well, God is good. We've been uh, in this study, if you're new here, we've uh, been studying about the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've been looking at who he is and what he does for us. And now we're in the second week of what he does through us. And um, it's been a powerful time. Last week as people came down, the Holy Spirit did stuff in people's lives. It was wonderful. And, uh, and I, we're still getting uh, stories about people experiencing God in ways that they had not experienced before. So um, we're excited about that and expecting the same today. Um, In this study, obviously, um, it would take the whole year, I think, if you were to do a comprehensive study of the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit's work is throughout the Bible. So you you know that there's more than this can be covered in a four-week period. Um, We do more of that in our deeper course when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. But because we're not going to cover, for instance, the gifts of the Spirit in in detail, I have a book I recommend to you. It was written by um, Bob Hunt and Jerry Stott. And uh, so uh, you know Bob. And uh, it is a, they, they did a really good job on the gifts. And uh, so we've, we've made it available. Um, the, uh, all the proceeds to it go to missions. And they've lowered the cost to 10 bucks. So you can't beat that. And it's available at the, at the gifts. I, I don't like doing uh, advertisement, but I really want to get this into people's hands uh, if you have a desire to get more out of um, your study on the Holy Spirit. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that, uh, thank you that you are here and you're here because we're here. And uh, Lord, we thank you that we get to, Lord, learn and grow and experience you in fresh ways today. Lord, um, you are, Lord, beyond um, finding fully all that you are to us. We cannot discover it, certainly in our limited capacity, but Lord, the day, day to day you reveal yourself and we are being transformed from glory to glory and we thank you for that. And we ask for your help as we communicate your word and anything that, Lord, you, uh, that would not be of you, we would just store it in the trash today. And uh, if I speak anything, only, Lord God, those things, I pray you would help me so that, Lord, we have a real understanding of what you want to do in our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to take you, we're, we're going to be uh, our main t- uh, scriptures, we're, we're not going to get to it for just a second. I want to take you down um, just uh, to this one scripture that I, as I was doing this, I said, I, we've got to talk about uh, the mission statement of Jesus. And, uh, and I believe the mission statement of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 19 and verse 9. And uh, it, it says, Jesus had said, um, <clears throat> Uh, today, and he was talking to Z- Zacchaeus because um, he said, I'm going to go to your house, and uh, you know, and Zacchaeus is going to hear the gospel. And he said, Today salvation has come to, your, to, to this house because he, uh, he also is a, a son of Abraham. And then in verse 10 it says, For the Son of Man, here's the mission statement, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That, that, that's what Jesus came for. That was his mission, to seek and to save that which is lost. And, uh, and we are that which was lost. And so uh, today, 
understanding Jesus's overall mission statement, I, I want you to see what the calling and the, um, if you would, the empowerment that came for Jesus to fulfill that. And this text is one of my favorites. So um, it's in Luke chapter four and verse number 16 is where we're starting out. And I'm gonna ask you to read with me out loud from verse 16 to 21 and then we'll, we'll dig in, okay? Um, ready? Uh, in verse 16, they'll be on the screen. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. There is so much here. And, uh, and um, the, the setup for Jesus going to that synagogue was, um, it, it tells us in the first verse of this same chapter that Jesus being filled with the Spirit returned uh, from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, remember, this is after he was baptized. He came up, and the Spirit, the Spirit fell upon him. And, uh, and uh, the, the Spirit fell, it's interesting, the f- Spirit fell upon him while he was doing something. He, he was baptized. Well, while he was doing something. And I, I'm, I'm emphasizing things because it's going to come up later. Then, then in, in verse 14, right before the, this portion, this text, a couple of verses before, it says, Jesus returned in power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding region. Now, in Luke's uh, uh, rendition, um, you see him going into the wilderness, coming out, and then very rapidly going um, to the synagogue, but we know from John and other portions that there was a t- time for Matthew, that there was a time frame there that there was more that took place and there were some miracles had happened. And so these miracles that uh, had taken place, n- news about them and, uh, and about what Jesus was doing started to, to, to permeate. And now he goes to a synagogue and this synagogue was a synagogue that he went to. That when he was, see, Jesus lived there in Nazareth, obviously, and he had, um, he had gone to this synagogue, and the people knew him. We see that a little bit later. They, they actually questioned, wasn't this, isn't this, um, you know, the carpenter's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Uh, yeah, they knew who he was, and yet something had changed. Something had happened in Jesus that, um, and now he, he comes to this place. And, and so right at the beginning, it says he was brought up. He, goes, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as the custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. I love that. As his custom was, Jesus went to church. Uh, and, and he went to church regularly. Okay, you would see Jesus if on Sabbath, Jesus was in the synagogue. It, and now, if Jesus had to go to synagogue, <laughs> what, 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 what is it? What is it when a Christian? thinks they don't need to be part of the body of Christ or to participate, or even more than participate, more than be a part of the, um, the ongoing life and ministry of the church. It's, it's, not some, it's something foreign. Would have been absolutely foreign to the apostles and the early church 
the people we read about in the Bible, it would be absolutely foreign to them that someone would be like, go, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you go to church? Oh, well, not, not really. I have, I've, actually, I've had people, I know I'm getting sidetracked here, but um, I've had people who have left our church and gone places and said, well, we just can't find a church. And I'm just saying, I know some of you are watching online, and I'm glad you watch us online, those of you, but I'm talking to you, find a church. And if you cannot find a church that is a Bible teaching church that established on the foundations, the, the essentials, even though it might not be the same, I would say to you, if you can't go support them, then start a church. You have to be in church. And one way or the other, that, that is a part of not only our personal growth, but it's a part of what God, how God strengthens one another for and the work of God in the world. And so, um, and that's why, and I'm, okay, let's get back to the text. <laughs> the, the scripture says that he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, the reason he was handed that book is in synagogues, in fact, it's true today, there's, you, as you go through the year, there's every, every Sabbath, there's a certain portion of scripture to be read. And so, because of that, because they gave him the book of Isaiah and where he reads, we can actually tell what time of year it was. And it was actually four Sabbaths prior to the new year, uh, in, 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 uh, sometime around September in our calendar date, because he was given the, 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 the book. Now, in synagogue at that time, they would have Bible reading or old, you know, scroll. They would take the scrolls. It, when it says uh, the book, it's actually, they didn't have bound books. They, it was a scroll. And they, he took a, he, they, they took the scroll. But there would be different scripture reading uh, during the, the synagogue time. There'd be time of worship or worship. They'd be singing and so forth, the psalms and, 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 and hymns that they had, uh, and then there would be seven people who would get up, usually different ones to read a scripture, and then there was kind of the, the guest who would speak, and sometimes they were outside guests, but sometimes they were just part of the synagogue, and there were people expected to, to share, and they were handed the, the portion, that's what was happening. Jesus is now in that place, because he sits down, uh, you know, to teach afterward, and the, that is the place of He's being honored for um, maybe they've just because they've seen what's some of the things that have happened and, and they're honoring him and allowing him to speak in that synagogue that he so often was there. He probably had spoken before. It wasn't probably the first time and, uh, in, in that synagogue. But he, he takes the scripture, the, the, the scroll, and it says, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And... The place where it is written would be well known, uh, obviously to everyone who's who is listening. This portion of scripture was a messianic, was considered a messianic text. In other words, they understood what Jesus was um, going to read was about the Messiah who was to come someday, as they were hoping and and expecting and. They, they knew the prophecy. This was part of the prophecy, the understood prophecy of the day. So those people who are listening, when he opens this text and starts reading it, their mind is immediately going. It's kind of like if we talk about, you know, what's going to happen in the book of Revelation or something, and your mind goes to the end times because you know that that's part. That's what's happening here. As, as he's reading it uh, to them, their mind is going to, oh, that's when the Messiah is coming. All right, they get that. And so he opens a portion where it is written. And this is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And uh, in the first couple verses in the 61st chapter of Isaiah, that's where he's reading from, right? Now we're getting it in Luke as he's reading it. And he starts off by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And that over last week we talked about all the different references and the different kinds of 
terminology used when the Holy Spirit would come either upon someone or fill them. We said uh, for the first time in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost, uh, something was referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John referred to Jesus being the one who would baptize people in the Holy Spirit. But also that that word baptism uh, you know, is synonymous with being filled and the Holy Spirit coming upon and there's all this, uh, this terminology. And something different happened uh, when the church was born on the day of Pentecost. We, we see that, that there was, the, the Spirit would come upon, but something unique took place on that day. Uh, even though throughout in the Old Testament, I think about a hundred times the, the there's reference in the Old Testament of the Spirit coming upon an individual and something happening, and uh, which isn't a lot, but in the New Testament, we see a different, even more powerful dynamic that seems to happen uh, when this happens because it has its, its staying power, I would just say, because the Holy Spirit has come in us and upon us. And so, um, things, powerful things happen when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon people. Amazing things happen. Like, like non-prophets prophesy and, and non-doctors heal the sick and things multiply and lost are saved and dead are raised and broken are put back together and mouths are anointed and ears as well. I mean, just so many powerful things that we see can happen and, and does and has happened and does happen. And, and so Jesus says, the spirit of, of the Lord, uh, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He says, um, <clears throat> and, and we know that that happened on baptism day, but this is something that has remained. It says the spirit f- came upon him and remained on him. So Jesus had the spirit remain on him. And then it says, because he has anointed me. What is that? What's anointed? Um, You know, in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, that word is thrown around an awful lot. Um, You know, the, the anointing of, you know, the Holy Spirit. And, and, uh, what exactly is that? The, the word is to sprinkle oil on or, or to pour on. And we see through the entire Old Testament um, that there were times when, the, when um, the, the oil would be poured on people for specific things. Like, like uh, David, when he was to, um, you know, he was declared that he would be the next king. He, the oil, Samuel put oil on him. The, the scripture talks about how when a, a, a new uh, high priest would come, that there's going to be anointed, and they would anoint them with oil. And they would anoint their head, and they'd anoint their hands, they'd anoint their feet. It just, there was this oil that would be poured on people. And it's like, what does that mean? In fact, it didn't stop there. The Bible actually tells us, for instance, uh, in James, that when there's people who are sick, the Bible says, call for the elders of the church and anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I've heard people actually use that and say, well, you know, the oil that they put on them had healing properties. That's probably what it was. And when they poured oil, that they would get better. Um, it doesn't say that the oil healed them. It says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. So, the, so the, what is the oil then? Why would you do that? Because that symbol is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a, it's a symbol of the sprinkling or the pouring of the Holy Spirit on an individual. So when someone is anointed, um, then uh, then with the Holy Spirit, you would see that this is a, well, this is a, a sprinkling or, an, or a pouring of the Holy Spirit on an individual. Uh, the, the, the scripture uses that. For instance, in Acts chapter 38, it, said, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, it uses that term, with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil and God was with him. So it, 
attaches this anointing to this power of the work of the Spirit in, uh, in, in, uh, in Jesus, in, in, or through Jesus. And then in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, um, you have loved righteousness, and this is re- referring to uh, um, uh, uh, um, prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament, quoted here in, in the book of Hebrews, have, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. So the Father anointed him with the, uh, the, the, the Son with the oil of gladness more than your fellows. What I like about this scripture, because this anointing is an anointing of gladness. It's anoint, and, and I believe that that is part of, you know, it, uh, because the, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And Jesus... But people's picture of Jesus is not the way the scripture describes it. Jesus was more happy, more joyful than anyone else. It says it right here. So our picture of Jesus always kind of being stoic and some of the paintings and so forth. And even this ought to even help you. Because when you read something someone says, what you don't, aren't able to get fully out of, a te- out of something like that is, is the, um, the attitude or the, um, the, the tone of the voice, right? That's why people get in trouble when we text. Sometimes we text something and somebody picks it up as something completely different because you cannot see the facial expression or any, you know, the, the tone of the, or, uh, of the voice. And this is what we do if we don't have a proper view of who Jesus and how he responded. There are times when Jesus was angry, and you can see that in the text. But what you should see when you're reading the text, if this text is true, it is, then Jesus was happy a lot. And that the tone of his voice when he talks. And some, some people get this and, and they see that and they have a picture of Jesus and his love that is, you know, that is just increased because they see that. Jesus is not angry all the time. That is not part of his, um, his demeanor. He is, his, he's joyful. He's joyful. He's filled with joy. He's He's, he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than others. Now, um, this thing about being anointed is hard to describe. Um, in fact, Chuck Smith said, it's hard to explain when you have it, but you know when you don't have it. That doesn't help a lot, but it's true. It's true. It, there's something about this anointing. It's a, it's, it is the outpour. It's the work of God's spirit in our life that empowers us and strengthens us and, and encourages us. I mean, there, there's, there's a place of it that when you have it, you know it. And when you don't, um, you, do, you know you don't. And uh, my wife was reminding me of a story, her story because she, when she was... Uh, um, younger, in fact, you were a teenager, young, yeah, uh, um, at, at her dad's church, uh, Corey Tinboom. some of you would know the name, Corey Tinboom. had come, She'd, she was famous, she was, uh, uh, when she, she was uh, young, she was uh, put in a, a Nazi concentration camp, her family was, in fact, her family was killed as a result of hiding Jews, um, and uh, and her journey, she through that and what God did and the power of the Lord in her life was just amazing. A, a movie was, was done of her life and, and stories. And at, at that season of her life, it was just an amazing thing. But she, is, she was at this point when Carol was uh, there, uh, there was cognitive decline. And so uh, when she came to the church, Carol was responsible for taking care of her. And she was, had gotten to the place where she was very, pretty feeble. And, and Carol would t- has said that she was concerned about her and concerned about her actually getting in front of the people and not knowing if she could even, you know, be able to share with them. And then she said that when they brought her up and she stood before the people, all of a sudden it was like a light went on. 
and there was just switch. And all of a sudden, she was like a young woman preaching and teaching and sharing power. And then when she was done, she kind of went off. That's the anointing. That's the anointing. That's the work of the Spirit on someone that otherwise wouldn't be able. I, there are, we, we have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit, and they're wonderful and powerful, but there is an added thing. I believe that this is what this is about. There is a gift uh, of the Spirit, and there is an added uh, power, anointing, that was on Jesus that there was a sprinkling. It was the it was the pouring of the Holy Spirit. It's using that kind of terminology to help us kind of grasp it. The Holy Spirit coming upon and empowering us. And everybody wants that, right? If you're a believer, you want that. You want more of that in your life. And, and so Jesus, it says he, he, uh, he, he was anointed. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And with power, and then, then it, it says in, in um, the, the rest of the verse here, um, to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, this word "preach" is also the, the, from the core of evangelize. So, it, this is a he came to evangelize. He came to preach the gospel. He came to communicate the gospel to the poor. Now, I was looking at what and who Jesus preached to, and. Um, I mean, like, when he picked his disciples, they weren't all poor. I was just surprised by that. I mean, you had, you had business owners. You had tax collectors. You know, they, they, they weren't like, but they tended not to be poor. I mean, so when you're looking at who Jesus preached to and some of the people who gathered around him, they weren't all poor people. So did Jesus only preach to poor people? No, but you know what? There is... A receptance by poor, by the poor, a lot of times quicker than by the rich. People who have, in their mind, everything that they need, aren't as open oftentimes to people who know they have great need. And so the gospel has always gone to the poor. Back, in fact, it has always been an even an economic lifter, wherever the gospel has reached out to, in the, in poor communities and so forth. But. I think it's beyond that too, because when Jesus, uh, in fact, not far from this time, he's going to talk about the Beatitudes, he's going to preach, and he's going to say something, he's going to say this, he's going to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, because there's there's a poorness that has nothing to do with economics, it has to do with your soul. And the fact is, all of us have poor spirits without God. We all are bankrupt without God. We all need God in our life. We need the salvation that comes in Christ. So in that way, but the, and the, 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 the anointing is to preach the gospel. And he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And uh, boy, stories could be told in this room about people that were absolutely brokenhearted. And that was an impetus for being open to Jesus working in your life. And some of us are being healed from brokenheartedness right now. And God is bringing us to a place of health and strength and, and wholeness in our life. Jesus is the healer. You know, when you just get in the presence of the Lord, that, that, that process takes place, even without learning things sometimes. You know, I mean, the, the, the wonder of, of truth is it does transform us. But the presence of God is powerful. And, 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 the, the, and, and understanding the love of God and the acceptance of God. And that comes in the next one. It says to proclaim. So you see, pre- he's anointed to preach, to heal, and to proclaim liberty to the captives. I was talking with someone just, just recently that the drug addiction of their life was just completely controlling. And, uh, and they t- tell, tell the story now how they've been freed from it and how captive they were. That there was a bondage, there was a, there was a jail sentence, if you would, in that in their life. And people are in bondage to a lot of things, right? And, and so, and recovery of sight to the blind. Now, 
this is, I think, more than just physical blindness, and he healed blind people, right? But how many blind people are there for, for in Jerusalem you know, at that time, or Nazareth in that time to be healed? There, there were more spiritually blind people, and Jesus made that clear too, because he says, those of you who, who say you can see are blind, but for those who are blind can see. And it, it is that when we understand we need God to open our spiritual eyes. And Jesus comes and he proclaims and he brings recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who oppress. Um, actually, he's in, in, the new, new, in Luke's uh, rendition, it says set at liberty the, those who oppress. But you go to the oh, um, Isaiah there, it kind of gives a, a broader understanding. It says opening the prison of those bound led captive, led, led, open, open the prison of those who are bound. By the way, Jesus did that not only as he was freeing people and still does, but he literally went into the lower parts of the earth and brought captive those who, brought captivity cap, captive. And that was, the, as the scripture says in, in Ephesians, he, um, he preached to those who were, uh, in in prison and uh, and brought them out. These are believers. Actually, it was a place called paradise that no longer is in the lower parts of the earth, but is now um, in heaven. And scripture scripture uh, says that because Paul saw paradise, he went to paradise, and uh, so paradise is no longer in the 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 lower parts of the earth. Jesus went there and led captive led those who are captive, free. And, uh, and, and you wonder what paradise was, I'm sidetracked, but you wonder what paradise was like. And, and I think it gives you a little bit of hint about what heaven is like because the description has nothing, there's no description other than people. I wonder, see, we always describe heaven as, and it is a place, but how we would describe it is like, here's the thing about heaven. Man, you know, there's all this beauty and maybe streets of gold and, you know, people talk about all that and that's cool, but I don't think that's what is important in heaven. I think it's people. I think it's us. I think it's people. I think that's the beauty of heaven. It's redeemed people. So, um, then, then he says this. And uh, he said, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, the acceptable year of the Lord, there was a year. It's not the day of the Lord. It's the acceptable year of the Lord. There was a year that was supposed to be practiced. And as far as we know, it never was. It, It was supposed to be. And that was the year of jubilee. The year of Jubilee was every 50 years, there was a complete, um, you know, turnaround, a complete change, complete, um, I don't want to use that word, it's so political right now. (laughs) it It was a complete, let's get set back again, let's get, let's get free, and it was a freedom Time. Because anybody who is, uh, for instance, if you were a slave at those times, a bond servant, you would be free. If you owe debt, you'd be free. Uh, that wouldn't work that well in our culture because everybody just gets their credit cards up. That you'd have so much debt. You know, <laughs> next year's year of jubilee, man. Let me, I'm, go, I'm going after it. I'm buying that yacht. You know, <laughs> um, so it kind of things. It would change our uh, our monetary uh, use, wouldn't it? How it all would work, but. Everything was brand new. Start all over. That's what it was. Start all over. Free. And and so the start all over time, Jesus is saying, he's proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of jubilee. I'll keep that in mind. Because that year of jubilee, well, it's a year it's a year where everything 
not only change us and, and, and begin, it's the beginning of a whole new way in which God, it's, would, um, people would call it a dispensation of time. It's a whole new way in which God would be working with mankind. And, and then the next one just kind of gets passed over. The next thing that's said, it says, then he closed the book. And that is just as significant as the thing that he preached. He closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant, it says, and they sat down. Now, the reason it's significant is because as he's reading this text in Isaiah, he kind of closes it in the middle of a verse. Now, obviously, there were no verses and, and, and so forth uh, that distinguished him, but he, he closed it in the middle of the thought. It's like, wait, wait, you didn't get the whole, aren't you supposed to read the whole verse? And, uh, and he closes the book. So this is actually what, when you read it right out of Isaiah 61, it says, to proclaim the acceptable, uh, in verse 2 it says, to, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now that's judgment day. That's judgment day. That's, that, that's what happens at the second coming of the Lord. So when Jesus was telling, he's not, he closes the book because he's not there for judgment day. He's there for the acceptable year of the Lord. And he's proclaiming that year. That happens every 50 years, but now it's, it's going to be this is the time. It's not, a, it's not just a, a national holiday time, but this is now the new dynamic of the Spirit of God working in this world, and it's the acceptable year of the Lord. And it's interesting that the year of Jubilee was every 50 years, and the day of Pentecost was 50 days after, after Passover. So we, what we have is that these 50, these 50 days later, after Passover, the Holy Spirit came. Now, we, we remember this, that, that when Jesus died, when Jesus was buried, and when Jesus rose from the dead, it happened all on feast days. They were, the, the, the feast days, you have, you have the spring you have the spring and uh, the autumn. You have the feast day of Passover. Jesus died. Um, he was buried for the feast of unleavened bread. He rose from the grave on the, on the feast of first fruits. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out, you see, on the, the day of Pentecost 50 days later. So Jesus was fulfilling those feast days. And when he poured out the Spirit, the, on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was also the celebration of the wheat harvest that was to come. Okay, it was they 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 would bring in the wheat harvest on on the day of Pentecost, and they were celebrating what was coming as th they would bring their first fruits of their wheat harvest on the day of Pentecost. Now what would happen is they would anticipate the week coming. Let me tell you where we are. We are on, we, we are, on the, are in the acceptable year of the Lord and it is the wheat harvest and when Jesus comes back, he comes back on the feast of trumpets. I, well, I'm not saying he, he has to, but I'm saying if he fulfills this pattern, right? The pattern is that you have the spring and you have the fall feast. And the fall feasts start with the Feast of Trumpets. I don't know if that connects anything with you. But it does with me as I look to, you know, um, the fulfillment of these things and the terminology. You know, the Feast of Trumpets. Because there are some other trumpets that are going to be sound at some point in the future. And so if Jesus fulfills the pattern, and you cannot say for definite it has to, but it sure looks like that might be the case. He did it. In the first feast, why wouldn't he do it in the, in, in the second group of feasts? 
And if that's happening, then, then, then you have the day of vengeance of our God. Now you have, first you have, you know, the, the, the wheat harvest beginning. We are in that cycle waiting for this. And in this season, is it, th- this is the, the season of the day of, um, th- this is, th- this is the, the, the day in which we are to bring in the harvest. And isn't it interesting because as Jesus is talking about preaching the gospel, being anointed for that, the anticipation is that in a, a short period of time later, the Holy Spirit would fall on the church and, it, the, and the church would be anointed to do the things that Jesus, in fact, is, was anointed to do here. And, and so we can look at each of these things that preaching the gospel and healing the brokenhearted and proclaiming the liberty of captives and recovery. This is the anointing that the Lord, what was on Jesus, and we, what, we are to continue the work and ministry of Jesus in our lives. And under the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that fell on Jesus would be on us. And and for that to happen, we would need, in fact, not only the Holy Spirit upon us, but we would also need the, the, the anointing, and I don't want to separate them completely because the Holy Spirit upon us is the anointing, but, but the specific fullness at the moment for whatever it is task we're, we're needing. And this is an ongoing process in our life that we are being filled as, the, as we read about and we talked about last week that this is an ongoing thing in our life of being refilled, anointed for the work that God's called us. And w- listen, the anointing, if you would, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit as you read through the text of Scripture, you find that there were things happening while they. These are the while they times. While they were waiting, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. While they were praying, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. While they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. While they were proclaiming, witnessing, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. While they were singing, while they were listening to the word of God proclaimed, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. While they were doing. It seems like as the need arises and as we are entering, as we enter into uh, the expression of our hearts to the Lord and we, in our gathering times too, you know, it, that as we worship, the Bible says, he inhabits the praises of his people. Those are times in which the Holy Spirit, specifically, there, there are times when things happen in our life. And like I said, I don't think you can, you can't demand, you can ask. In fact, you're supposed to. Jesus said to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. But this should be an, a, a hope and a desire in our life all day, every day. I mean, for all day, every day. At, at, at points in our life, we just need to be, don't you know when you need to be refilled? And because if you've had it, you'll never forget it. If you experience that, you know what it is, and uh, you know you know what the, the sense of that presence is, and you want to get back to it. You, you, can't, you can't live without that, right? And so you need that in your life, and you... You, you pursue it. Lord, I need, I need more of you. Because when that happens, and the anticipation of what God can do when that happens, you become more, more you enter more into the ministry of Jesus. You know, I, I think it's interesting. We'll, we'll look and people will pronounce their ministry. And really good people will do this. So I'm not, you know, tearing down everybody that, you know, but uh, it'll say such and such ministry, you know, so-and-so's ministry. And uh, I, I think we put too much emphasis on so-and-so's ministry. 
And really, the ministry is Jesus' ministry. Hopefully, what we are doing is we are, we're, in fact, we're fulfilling, if we could, we're being part of, all of us, Jesus' ministry. It's his ministry. And we do that, we, we get filled because Jesus wants to do more stuff in his ministry. He, he wants more people to hear the gospel. He wants more people to be touched and broken hearted people to be mended. He wants more people who are sick to be healed. And he wants more people who have no peace to have the peace of God in their life. He wants that in people's life. And we are to take on Jesus's ministry. And he offers to us the same Holy Spirit that worked through him while he was on earth sitting, right? And he offers us that same Holy Spirit. It's not something different. It's not a different spirit. It's not a different, you know, it's, it's the same Holy Spirit that was in Christ. He offers to every single believer. And, and it's not, it's not, Say this again. It is not so that we feel better. Oh, I feel so good when the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's good. It's okay to feel better. But that's not why. You understand? It wasn't for Jesus. What did it say that he was anointed for? What was the Holy Spirit upon him to, to do? Right? It was to... The Holy Spirit was upon him for others. And we, I, I think in Pentecostal charismatic circles, it's really become, oh, you know, we, we worship, oh, it's so good to worship God. And you kind of get engulfed in it, and I so love it. And, and, and I'm not discounting the value of that sense of God's presence and what peace it brings in, in our life and the good things that it brings. But folks... If that's all it's for, we're totally missing it. That, that needs to be an experience that we have. And then that experience is supposed to be something that empowers us and helps us to reach and touch other people, to reach out to a world that is de desperately in need for God. We, because the mission of Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost is our mission too. It's ours. And Jesus paid the price so that we could enter into that in our life. And so I want more of God. Don't you? And when we were worshiping, I, know, I just had this real sense of brokenness in me. Lord, we just need more, so much more of you. The world so much needs you. Don't you feel that? Oh, we know that's true. I need more of God in my life. And if I need more of God, and I think I have a pretty healthy relationship with him. I mean, how about the people that we have contact with? And what about the world that is in such desperate need? And, uh, and can we enjoy the filling and presence of God without getting self-absorbed in that and allow us to go, you know what, I'm thankful for the goodness of God and the, and the joy that he brings and the Holy Spirit's work in my life and the peace that it brings and I so love that, I so want that, but can I just go beyond that too? And can, because didn't Jesus say that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water? You're not to be a well. We're never to be a well. We were always to be a river. And, and I pray that that would happen in all of our lives. We're, we're gonna do, um, now as we close, we're, we're, we're actually postponing communion because I wanted to do this. And, and I didn't wanna rush communion, uh, but I wanted to give opportunity again this week because so much good stuff happened last week. Um, I want to give opportunity for those that would say, you know what, I just need a new filling. I need a fresh filling. I've never experienced, um, you know, what you're talking about. I'd like to have that. Um, 
or maybe you've never invited Christ into your life. I don't know if that's the case, but there'll be people here, and I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on up, prayer teams, the couples and teams to come on up, and uh, and let's um. And we're gonna we're gonna do like we did last week. We're gonna we're gonna have a, a song of worship. Um, when that song is over, you can feel free to you know the the service is dismissed. I'm not gonna come up to say say that again. Um, but we're gonna continue worshiping afterward. If you just want to stay and bask in the the presence of the Lord, you want to do that. You can stay longer as long as you like. As long as we're going. As long as the worship team can go before the second service enters. So we're going to do that. And if you would like, um, just, um, just j- these people are here to just join with you. If you want to say, Lord, you know, I need more. And they're, they're there to pray over you. Lord, I want more of you. And I need you, Holy Spirit, fresh in my life. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to stand, but you don't have to remain standing. I'm gonna ask you to stand with us and um, as we start off, and if you wanna be seated or kneel or whatever you'd like, you can, you can do that.
Oh 